Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, in the New Testament section of our Red Pew Bibles, on page 86. Please join me for a prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as the scriptures are read and your word is shared, we may hear with joy the message you have in mind for us today. Amen. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, before we come to the communion table, I I want us to think a little bit about the question, the question of who is Jesus? I've come to the conclusion, as I'm sure many of you are in a similar place, that there are all kinds of questions in life. 
Some are what we say are inconsequential questions, and some are questions that are rather important. For example, if somebody came to you and asked who won the World Series last week, we here in Chicago would say that is an inconsequential question. If the Cubs had won, that's a whole different story. But in all seriousness, the question as to who won the World Series could be considered inconsequential in the sense that even if you didn't know that it was the Washington Nationals who defeated the Houston Astros, it really doesn't affect your life. It doesn't really mean a hill of beans to your life. How about this other question? What time does my flight leave? Now that's an important question because if you arrive at the airport at the wrong time, you arrive at the airport an hour later, that has some consequences. Or even this question, when is my surgery scheduled? Now, it's important to get that question right because if you get it wrong, the consequences for your health could be rather enormous. And so this question that is before us, who is Jesus, I think, ranks in the consequential side of things. Very important question that has to do with how we answer that question has to do with how we live and really how we die. So I want you to think about this question with me, who is Jesus, by going about it in two main ways. I want us to look at that question in light of of history and culture. And I want us to look at that question in light of scripture. So looking at this question through the lens of history and culture, through the lens of scripture, and then just to quickly sum up by asking the question, but who do you say Jesus is? Does Jesus really matter to our lives today? So when we look at this question of who is Jesus through the lens of history and culture, one of the things we'll notice is that from the very beginning, or we might even say before Jesus was even born, the nature and the notion of who Jesus is was met with a lot, of, a lot of controversy. The nature of his conception, the nature of his birth, there's a lot of controversy surrounding that. And we read in the opening Gospels that Herod the Great, when he heard that a king was born in Bethlehem, that he, he immediately assumed that this king was a rival who needed to be killed. Jesus then, as he grew in his ministry, made the claim to be Israel's Messiah, that he was sent from God to be Israel's Messiah, and that largely fell on deaf ears. He was crucified, some say, as an enigma, because to the Jews, they saw him as a stumbling block. To the Gentiles or the Greeks, it was just foolishness. Jesus, through the eyes of the Romans, was perceived as a threat, a revolutionary. And either way, whichever way you stood, let's get rid of him, let's crucify him. But the controversy around Jesus continued when his followers then three days later said that, no, he's not dead, he's alive, we saw him. And then Christianity for 2,000 years, has anchored its existence on the claim that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. And I know many of you have heard the theories that have arisen to try to explain away 
the importance of the resurrection, the theory that his body was stolen, the theory that he never really died, he was just hallucinating, the theory that it's all a myth, the theory was that Jesus, the swoon theory. None of these theories, though, have been able to stop the spread of the gospel. Now, what I noticed from my days in seminary, and as I continue to read about the, the, the Jesus studies, if you want to call it that, throughout time, is that the scholars, for the most part, do not deny the existence of the man Jesus. Most of the scholars around the world will agree on three main facets of Jesus' life. That he was baptized by John the Baptist, that he was crucified by order of the Roman Emperor Pontius Pilate, and that he was a Galilean Jew. The notion of Jesus, though, begins to fall apart among the scholars when it comes to the, nature, the notion and the nature of Jesus' birth. There's no conclusive statements on that. His teachings, his miracles, his resurrection, his ascension, his divinity. These scholars assert, and you really need to hear this, these scholars assert that the Jesus of history and the Jesus of the Bible are not the same. And you still hear that to this day through many of the Jesus scholars, the Bart Ehrmans of the world, that much of what we're reading today, even what we just read, what Jim just read for us, Jesus never really made those claims. They were foisted upon Jesus. They were fabricated by, by, by his followers. The Bible that you're looking at is, a, is an example of the Jefferson Bible. Thomas Jefferson, one of the great leaders of this country, also had his views about Jesus, which is very similar to what many scholars hold today, that you really can't trust much of what you read in the Bible. So Thomas Jefferson literally took a knife or a scissors and began cutting out those parts of the Bible that he did not believe were true and authentic from the mouth and from the life of Jesus. So you can imagine many of the miracles, many of the, the teachings, Thomas Jefferson snipped them out of the Bible. When I was in seminary, we had to read Albert Schweitzer's book, The Quest for the Historical Jesus. He wrote that book back in 1906. And also, like Jefferson, wanted to determine which of the words and the actions of Jesus were historical and factual and which of those statements were fabrications. You know, since Schweitzer is dead and gone, his writings continue to live on, there's been that quest for the historical Jesus, but there's been a second quest, and there's been a third quest, and then even in our time, in 1985, when these scholars got together and in, in what was called the, um, the, the, the Jesus Seminars, Robert Funk, John Dominic Crossan, Marcus Borg, and these are eminent scholars, and I, I, I do not in any way speak derogatorily about them. I'm just suggesting to you that they're all part of a long stream of scholars throughout time who are trying to understand who is Jesus, what did he teach, what can we believe about him. I also read when I was in seminary the writings of Friedrich Schleiermacher, 
And I remember very distinctly the class I was in because I never, ever understood the impact of the Enlightenment upon the way even we today think and believe. Friedrich Schleiermacher, German theologian from the 18th century, and he started out with a, with a very noble a very noble effort. He wrote a book on, it's called On Religion, Speeches to Its Cultured Despisers. He simply wanted to engage with his society, with his world, and help them to contemplate the meaning of faith. Schleiermacher explained the incarnation of Jesus this way. And I just want you to hear this. It's a very stunning statement. He says these words, that Jesus was just a, what he calls a higher form of God consciousness. In other words, we all have this consciousness of God. But Jesus, according to Schleiermacher, perfected that sense of the consciousness of who God is. But what that leaves us with, it leaves us with the question then, was Jesus just an impressive human being? Was Jesus just some kind of super saint? Was he different from us in the sense that he was able to get to a higher form of God consciousness. And that's a really important question. The end result, though, of all this quest for the historical Jesus is that we end up with a lot of personalized impressions of Jesus. And for some people, they say, well, for me, Jesus was just a great teacher. For me, Jesus was just a guru. For me, Jesus was just a great prophet. He was just a revolutionary, an enlightened spirit. Hugo Chavez, when he was alive at his, one of his installations as the president of, of, of Venezuela, he stood up and he said, Jesus was the greatest socialist in history. The picture that I'm showing you on the wall is a picture that was taken back in 1920 in Portland, Oregon. And if you look very closely at the picture, it's a rally of Ku Klux Klan members. And if you notice behind them, it says Jesus saves. So if you were to ask these guys under those hoods, who is Jesus, possibly they would have given you an answer along racial lines. That Jesus was a white person sent from God to save the white world. Maybe. You look at the the idea of who Jesus is through, through culture and through history, you get this very, this very mixed understanding of who Jesus is. I'd like to suggest another way we could go is to try to look at Jesus through the lens of Scripture. What is it that the Scriptures say about Jesus? And you look at Mark 8 and verse 27, and we didn't read that, but Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi. And he asks his disciples the question, who do people say that I am? So I want you to understand that is an age-old question. Who is Jesus? Who do people say that I am? Now, notice, my friends, he wasn't asking, what are people saying about my teaching, my preaching? Did they like the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000? He didn't ask that question. He said, who do people say that I am? Who am I? In terms of his being, in terms of his nature. And that's the reason why I had us read John's gospel, because I think of all the gospels, 
John's gospel begins with this magnificent assertion about Jesus. Not about his teaching, but about who he is, his being, his nature. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelled among us. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he said that though Jesus was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God something to be grasped, but that he humbled himself and took on the nature of a human being, a humble servant. So who is Jesus? I would say to you that the most important thing we want to say this morning about Jesus, about his being and about his nature, is that he is God. That Jesus is the God-man. And in that way, he is unlike us. He's not just human. Because if he's just human, he couldn't save us. And he's not just this being out there. Otherwise, God would seem rather unintelligible. But this God took on human nature and exegeted and explained God to us. Jesus is God's word. And when you hear that, it takes us back to Genesis chapter 1. That same word that made the universe in Genesis 1, that grounds the intelligibility of the world, that undergirds all the science that is in the world, that same word who is God, who became flesh in Jesus Christ, that's who we worship. And so when you look at the scriptures as we heard them this morning, they were affirming some really important statements that we don't have time to unpack. That Jesus is called the Word. He's equal with God. That Jesus is identified as the creator and the sustainer of the world. There was nothing in this world that was made without him. That Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. That no one has ever seen God. But that Jesus makes God known and understandable to us. That Jesus brings light and he brings life to all. And so I would ask you, who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? Does knowing Jesus matter? And I would say to you this morning, yes, it matters. Knowing Jesus as revealed in Scripture matters in two ways. For how we interpret life, the evil, and the suffering that's in the world. You know, it breaks my heart in one way when I think of the, the difficulty that young people have today in affirming something like this because they are awash in the Enlightenment way of thinking. Schleiermacher, Rene Descartes, all these individuals who came along and said that I will not accept truth from an objective, authoritative source. I'm going to identify truth from within me, how I feel, what I think, and if I don't feel right about it, if it doesn't make sense to me, I refuse to accept it on the basis of how I feel. And we as a culture, especially our young people, are awash in that way of thinking. But here's the problem. We reject God, we reject Jesus, because when we look at the suffering that's in the world, and as I look at our congregation, I, I know the suffering that many of us have been through, the tragedy, the pain, and we wonder, where is God? 
We look at the fires burning out of control in California, the tsunamis, the tornadoes, the earthquakes, and we say, God, what are you doing? Where is God? God seems so indifferent. God seems so irresponsible. God seems so unhelpful. And it's hard for us to accept the fact or the reality that God is real, that God is alive, that God has made himself known in the person of Jesus. Well, this is why we read that scripture this morning. We don't understand fully the mystery of evil, but one thing we know is that God is not removed from evil. When we look at Jesus, when we understand that Jesus is the presence and the being of God in the world, it begins to make sense to us that Jesus is with me in my suffering. Jesus understands the pain and the loss and the brokenness of the world. The world is in trouble. And Jesus died to address the issues of the world. And Jesus is at work in your life and in my life to address the issues and the problems of the world. And so John 1.14 is an important verse. The word became flesh and lived among us and we've seen his glory. The glory as of a father's only son full of grace and truth. I believe this and that's why I believe in God. And despite all the suffering that I've seen in my own family and I see in the world the pain of divorce, the pain of abuse, the pain of suicide, what seems to be the crime and the random suffering around us, I see within Jesus this compassion, this love, this resolve through his death on the cross to address the problems of the world. And so you're not wrong if you say God died on the cross. It would not be wrong if you say God was hungry. It would not be wrong if you say that God was thirsty. Because when we say that, we're saying God in the person, the humanity of Jesus died. In the humanity of Jesus, God was hungry. In the humanity of Jesus, God was thirsty. He took on human flesh. God came near to us. But here's the other thing I want you to think about. Why I believe it is critical that we think very clearly about who Jesus is. It's because Jesus opens the door to God. Jesus opens the door to God. Again, John 1, verses 12 and 13, but to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And so that's a powerful faith, faith statement that the only way to God is through Jesus. And I know in our in our pluralistic society, that is, a, that is a dangerous statement to make. But I also know that in our pluralistic society, I have the right then to be able to say that I am not denigrating other religious groups. I'm just telling you that within my understanding of the scriptures, that Jesus is the door to God. And we see that displayed in the scriptures. Soren Kierkegaard warned against knowing the Jesus of history 
merely by historical study. He said this, we can read about Jesus, study texts, dissect them, stitch them together differently, but that gains merely a figure from the Near East. He goes on and he says, to know him as the Savior, we need to take that leap of faith to commit our lives to him. Then we can know him as the incarnation of God who saves us from our sins, the risen one. History cannot itself get us to that point. And I was thinking about that for some time, and the best analogy I could come up with was the analogy of the relationship with my wife. And can you imagine if I were to spend all of my days and all of my nights in my study, studying the historical records of Judith's life, when she was born, how she grew up, the first date we ever went on. And if I just spent all my days studying her, and she's at the door knocking and said, if you just spend some time with me, you're going to get to know me better. Yes, it's one thing to read about me, but when you come to know me in a real way, who I am, where I've been, what I'm all about, then that makes all the difference in the world. So Philip, in John 14, said to Jesus, after he had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. And you remember Jesus' response? He said to Philip, Philip, you've been with me so long, and you still don't know that the one who sees me sees the Father? If you want to get to know God the Father, we must come through Jesus. And here's the beautiful thing. When we get to know the Father coming through his son, Jesus Christ, we then become co-workers in the mission of God in the world. We won't have this very narrow view of Jesus that he only came for white people. We won't have this very narrow view of Jesus that he only came into the world to save me from my sins, to give me insurance to escape hell so that I can just get to heaven and we just let the world go on its way. When you come to know God through the person of Jesus, you begin to live a life of love. You begin to live a life of mercy. You begin to live a life of goodness. You begin to live a life of gentleness. You begin to live a life of real faith. Your life then becomes light. His light in you becomes light to the world. And then and only then, I believe, we will begin to know who Jesus is. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say,